Blog Talk Radio. Slow down, touch your light. Don't you know there's friends to be found? Lift your eyes and see the world. Lift your eyes up from the ground. This is the Sunbury Press Authors Interview. I'm Van Carter. You should pause this show right now if you don't have your earbuds in. We're going to have a lot of music, and you'll really want to enjoy it. I'm glad to say that we've got a couple of the uh, of the band's trio here. Uh, these fellows didn't just publish an autobiography. They wrote lots of music, and they made several albums, and they played with nearly all of the great bands of the 70s. Just think of one. Just think of anyone. Sorry about that. That's such a good song. <laughs> Play it again, man. <laughs> anyway, they 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 they, they, they played for nearly all the great bands of the 70s, and uh, for a few short years in the early 70s, the band Bang was an up-and-coming deal. Sometimes bands opened for them. Bruce Springsteen comes to mind. They lived the dream. Out of the Philadelphia area, the two Franks, bassist Frank Ferraro and lead guitar Frankie Gilkin, started the band when they were 16 years old. They must have already had that something because 26-year-old Tony DiOrio, a successful businessman, decided to chuck that in favor of being their drummer and lyricist. (laughs) The saying goes that chance favors he who is prepared but still, these guys had a lot of chance working for them. They borrowed money to get to the music scene in Florida. While purchasing some rolling papers in Florida, they heard about a nearby upcoming concert. They headed there, and living out of a tent, just happened to knock on the door of the concert promoter, who was spontaneous enough and impressed enough by their moxie to give them an audition. The rest is history and the subject of this book, written by Lawrence Knorr. And we're blessed to have him here with us as well. Lawrence, what got you started on this adventure story? Oh, wow, what a story. Like, So I was on Facebook uh, some time ago, and all of a sudden I get this message from somebody named Frank Ferrara wanting to find a ghostwriter for a biography and uh, had heard that I had a publishing company. And I was like, nah, I don't believe this guy. He's telling me that he's in this band that, played with Black Sabbath and then Dewey Brothers and all these bands. And I'm like, no way. I just thought it was one of those, uh, you know, crank messages. And then I went and looked him up. And uh, I thought, whoa, the truth comes out. He told the truth. So then I got back to him and I said, okay, let's talk. This is cool. And, you know, I'll just say uh, I was so impressed with the history, the connections that were made, and the, used to say, the intersections that, the band had as it as it rapidly rose, um, you know, among you know, on the concert tours, 
And uh, it's just great stories, just awesome stories, which the guys, when they when they tell them, they're they're hilarious, they're interesting. And, of course, we captured most of those in the book as well. Is, is there anything that, that you uh, want to share with us, uh, perhaps, that's, that's extraneous uh, before I turn to the guys? Uh, just to say that, you know, if you want to read a great rock and roll story, Bang, Bang is is it. I think, uh, you know, they, it's sort of like uh, Spinal Tap in real life. And uh, <laughs> music, the music way. is great, too. The music is great, That's too. And uh, the, re- the records are a bit scarce, the, the originals out there, and good collector's items as well. Uh-huh. But no, a lot of fun. Well, I've got, I've got, I've also got, uh, uh, I've got uh, Frank Ferrara and uh, and Tony Diorio standing by, and they were they were original members of of the the trio, but but I, I've got, I've got to start with Tony because Tony, uh, you were you were 26 years old, you had a family, you were you were successful in business, and yet. Uh, you you answered an ad from a couple of sixteen year olds for a drummer. What 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 in the world were you thinking? Well, I started playing drums when I was twenty five or twenty three. I had only been playing like two two years when I met the Franks, and I was in a band called December's Children, and I would play on weekends and stuff like that. And they were going to go professional. They were going to go start working clubs. Okay, so they they became professional and they started working clubs. And I and and I'm running a chain of discount stores. And but I thought to myself, man, if I ever had the opportunity, I'm dropping the white socks and I'm going to play music. So as it was, I was looking for a gig and I answered the ad and and boom. And I mean, we just hit it off like it was incredible. There's, there was never an age issue whatsoever, and we just hit it off. Well, even at sixteen, we were, they must have been incredibly talented, huh? They were very well. I yeah, they were very good musicians, especially Frankie. He's a he was he was just starting to you know really blossom. And uh, of course, we were all discovering what we did. You know, Frank was discovering, hey, you know, he's he's got a voice, and and I discovered, hey, I can write words, and Frankie's thinking, yeah, man, I got some good riffs, so we just put it all together. We went through some front men, we went through some piano players, and but it just keep on coming back to just the three of us, and um, that's when we were the Magic Band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you were a few things, uh, a few incarnations before before Bang actually came about, but. But uh, when did the when did the uh, prior, I mean you you ended up go, this Florida thing that I talked about at the top Frank uh, when when did you guys come up with the the actual band name Bang in relation to the trip to Florida? No, okay. go ahead, Frank. Yeah, you can tell my story. If I'm wrong, Tony. Uh, <laughs> I thought he asked me. I apologize. Hi, man. Uh, that wasn't we. We got the name not too long before we left. If my memory's correct, right, Tony? It wasn't too, yeah. uh, too long before we left to go to Florida. We um, were bang when we hit the road. Yes. Um. Well, Doctor John had a group called the uh, the Magic Band. I think it was Doctor John, one yes. of those guys. So we need, we needed a name. So, um, Tony was thumbing through a copy of the Rolling Stone and. Uh, uh, saw an article uh, that was directed um, 
it was a story about English bands coming to America and you know making big bucks doing concerts because uh, that was the beginning of when uh, the stadium gigs were starting to happen. Van, you know the, the big venues, the big concerts, and yeah. um, so let, the, let the, the article here, mentioned it. English let me jump in here, Frank. In the US. Go ahead, Tony. Go ahead. Yeah. I know it was Frank and I were in the, in the it was one of his apartments, and I'm looking at the Rolling Stone, and this headline jumps out at me. It says English groups bang in the U.S. And the word bang just I I thought they were saying that an English group called Bang was in the U.S., but they were saying English groups are really a big hit, but the word bang just jumped out and hit in the face, and I think the next day I was you know. Uh, uh, copywriting it. <laughs> I, I found well, there wasn't anybody that had the, had had the word "bang" for a musical band, a musical group. So I I uh, copyrighted it. Well, it's too bad that Frankie Gilkin can't be here today. I understand he's under the weather, uh, but uh, uh, I, I guess there's just no sense. We we just can't uh, we can't go on and tell everything else that we're going to be telling here until we hear the creation story. <laughs> so, so uh, please share share uh, briefly at least uh, the story of you, you know essentially you come you you come out of your basement and you go to Florida. Oh, you want me to take that, Frank? Sure, Tony. You're doing really well. You get to, I'm, you get I'm to learning next... a couple of things as we go. <laughs> no, go. Okay, it's, it's okay good. so it's all good. It's all good. Uh, we're gonna get to. So the three of us get together, okay, and and at the time the Franks had a connection with a couple of managers in Philadelphia who had done some things. So we were practicing up in in Philadelphia. Things went south, so we came and started practicing in the basement of one of my stores in Claymont. We spent 18 months practicing in that basement, and we played out like three or four times, and a couple of those times are pretty funny. And so I was uh, one night I was up at this club called the Anne Boleyn in in Pennsylvania, and there was a band there, and the I heard, overheard the bass player say that he used to be in uh, a band called Spooky. I mean, a band uh, that did the uh, single Spooky. It was a hit single. Classic so I went four. up to him. Classic four, exactly. He was the bass player. Of that classics for spooky, so I went up and said, "Wow, man, you had a hit. This is you know blah 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 blah." He says, "Hey, there's a distrib a record distributor in Florida called Tone Distributors. They're looking for bands. They had they they had a hit record out. It was a novelty song called The Window Washer's Woman or Window Washer Woman or something like that." So I'm not you know you think about it today. What? So a week later, I went to the bank for two thousand dollars. We rented a trailer. We loaded all our equipment into into the uh, to the trailer, and we we're going to head off to Miami to Tone Distributors. We got these postcards. I bought this stamp that said "Bang is in Miami," and we we sent out all these postcards to record labels, Walter Cronkite, Lassie, everything we could think of. We sent <laughs> these postcards out and said "Bang is in Miami." Something's going to happen. So. Um, that's what got us on the road to Miami. You you hit on the uh, the fact that we stopped off in Daytona to get some pot. 
We got some pot, didn't have any papers. We went to, the, there was a record store where it was just a couple minutes before closing. So we go in to get some papers, and there's a sign in the window that says, uh, Battle of the Bands. So I go in and say, hey, you know, we're a band. We got our equipment. We'd like to play on this thing. And the guy says, oh, that was last week. He says, but if you go to Orlando, Rod Stewart's play, maybe you can play with him. Ha, ha, ha. So we bought our papers, went back to our tent, we got high. At some point during the night, I said, we're going to Orlando, and we're going to play with Rod Stewart. And I'll let Frank pick up the rest of the story. Go ahead, Frank. You're on. You're ready, so I'm on. All right. So we decided to uh, – <laughs> needless, needless to say, the, the pot that we did get, Van, was uh, – Obviously, pretty good because it, it convinced us to go to uh, Orlando. Um, no, we decided it was not to Mexican. go. We got up. <laughs> no, it wasn't Mexican. No, it was the good stuff. It, it was the gold. It was the Colombian. Um, but yeah. anyway, we um, we called lighting in a bottle. We just got up early and, and fi- found out where the show was. And Van, in 1971, there, there wasn't a whole lot of security. We found where the venue was were able to pull directly behind the venue through the chain-link fence. There was no security. Uh, the back doors were open. And basically, we just walked in. Um, you know, the, the PA guys were setting up, the, you know, the, the stage, everything. And, and we kept walking until we saw a door and um, basically knocked on the door. And some guy popped his head out and looked at us and we just said we're bang we're from philly you know we're the best effing band in the world you know we want to play tonight and the guy looked at us like we had three heads and um he said do you have your equipment we said yeah it's right outside the u-haul he said well pull it in you know he said i want to hear what you guys sound like so we were flipping out at this point and um we set up the equipment. We we played two or three songs, and it turned out that the guy that answered the door, Van, it could have been the janitor for all we knew, but it turned out that it was the promoter of the show, and he just liked our moxie and, and liked the music and says, I'll tell you what, um, you know, I'll let you open up the show tonight. So 72 hours after we left Claymont with no idea of, you know, what we were doing except we're going to Miami, um, we're opening up for uh, the Faces and uh, Deep Purple. Um, and how old how old were you then? Uh, la, 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 seventeen. 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 Yeah. Hey, this was this yeah. was the this was the fourth or fifth gig we ever played out in two years in eighteen months. <laughs> And, we were and then for the next, and then for the next couple of years, you just opened uh, uh, for everybody in the world. Uh, Pretty much. Well, not everybody, but but people that were happening at the time. It turned out that uh, the guy who let us play was part of a a big company called Concerts West. He had their their Florida branch, and they had all the supergroups of the day. Uh, that's when Zeppelin was starting to come over, and and like I said back then, man, that's when basically Concerts West started the big concerts of you know. Um, Stadium gigs, you know, because there was so many people coming out. But don't forget, with our first shows, people were getting in for, you know, tickets for $3, you know, to get in. You know, I mean, it was a whole different world back in 1971. But we we called lightning in a bottle. I I think, um, you know, we really believed in ourselves because we spent 18 months really working hard on on getting our own style and 
I, I think the fact that we were able to, and any way you want to cut it, I mean, the fact that we heard about the show, the fact that we needed rolling papers, were all, you know, put in place so we could get to that point in time. You know, I really yeah. believe in a certain amount of destiny and, you know, five minutes in either direction, Van, you know, we would have went yeah. to Florida and, and maybe just turned around and came home. Who knows? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But uh, yeah. we were Life able turns to on a dime, and, doesn't it? You know, in a heartbeat. You know, um, it, it's amazing how fast it can – but, you know, it's funny. It, it happens fast, and a lot of times it ends just as quickly. So we well, found that out some later of- on. Let's get to some of your music, though, uh, uh, and, and explain how all of a sudden you you uh, not only are you you doing all the rest of this, but now you've got a you've got a a, a, a recording contract with Capitol Records. How'd that work? Dead air. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you how it worked. Uh, okay, so we went we opened up the show. Um, and we finished the show, and we're thinking, wow, where did we get home and tell everybody? But, you know, we were, that was it. We played with Rod Stewart, Deep Purple, uh, Matthew Southern Comfort. And so we're sitting backstage. Which, uh, one of the funny things was that we had no roadies. So there was about six or 7,000 people when we were playing. After we finished our set, we had to go back out <laughs> and take our equipment off. So I, I'm back out taking my drums apart right in the front of the stage. And these people out front are looking at me like, wow, weren't you just playing? You know, that we hold our, our our drums off into the back. And and Rick comes back and he said, uh, I've got, a, uh, I've got a, a, a motel in Fort Lauderdale. I want you guys to go there and I'll see you in a couple of days. So we went from there to go to Fort Lauderdale. And Rick, we meet him up, pick him at the airport. He says, hey, you guys want to play with Steppenwolf? As <laughs> we say, yeah, we'd like to open for Steppenwolf in Richmond. So, and that was our fifth gig ever. And, uh, from, and then from there, we just started opening for all these major acts. And on the uh, and of course Rick had heard our 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 music at that time we were doing the death of a con death of a country concept album the name speaks for itself I was into into all that kind of business and so Rick financed us going into the studio and doing death of a country and um, on. On the basis of what Conscious West and and Rick could do as far as bookings, basically got us to deal with Capital. The fact that we were we were pretty good, we were raw, but we were pretty good, and but we were going to be doing monster concerts all over the country. So that's one of the reasons Capital signed us because they didn't even want to release the Death of a Country, and they didn't. And then of course that's another story how we did the Bang album. Yeah, I had, there's well, a that's, what, that's what I was asking. Here. The the didn't you, the Bang album came about in like a space of two weeks, didn't it? Yes. Well, uh, go ahead, Frank. Want me to continue, Tom? You got yeah. It. What what happened, Van? Was basically um, uh, it was between Capitol and Atlantic. They they both liked Death of a Country, and and Tony was right. They liked the idea that uh, our management company could put us in front of fifty thousand people a week, you know, with all these mega shows, and what happened was uh, the choice became Capitol or Atlantic, and, and since the Beatles were on Capitol, we wanted to go with Capitol. Uh, so we went with Capitol, and um, no sooner did we sign that they, you know, said, "Look, you know, we don't think uh, a concept album is a good idea for a, a brand new act." 
um, you know, they had sent their producer down and, and basically said, look, guys, he says they don't want to release the record. We're going to have to, you know, uh, write a new one, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks, you know, uh, you know, come up with something. So we did. Uh, within two weeks, we uh, wrote the entire Bang album. Um, yeah, you came up with your eponymous album. Let me play that. Let me play the uh, one of the cuts from that right away. Cool. Shaking, hiding from inside. We dread to feel their anger's might. We cannot run from this fate. Unjust rewards they make us. Calling you the American Black Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to hear ahead, a great Sammy. Black Sabbath story? Sure. Okay. So we're playing <laughs> Black Black Sabbath. Are they're our idols, right? We we we're in the basement. We're playing Bang music and Black Sabbath music, and then maybe one or other thing. So they're a great big influence on us. So here we are. We're in we're we're uh, in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. And we're going to open up the show for Black Sabbath, you know. So this is wow. like big time for us. So before yeah. the show, I don't know if it was before the show, uh, there was a place in town that made Philly cheesesteaks, pretty good. So we got cheesesteaks for Ozzy and the other guy. And so here we are backstage feeding the the King of Darkness, the Prince of Darkness, cheesesteaks. And and he asked Frank. He says, I noticed these. The kids, they hold up two fingers. He says, for us, that was Churchill saying victory. He says, what, what does that mean here? And uh, Frankie told him, so it means two things. It either means boogie or peace. And so if you look on the next Black Sabbath album, I think it's Black Sabbath 4, there he is with two peace symbols where he's holding up two peace symbols in front of his album just because Frankie informed him of what it meant. So you guys taught uh, uh, Ozzy Osbourne about the peace sign. You know, you had a couple of other firsts. Uh, 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 in the book, it said something like, you were the first to use fireworks on your shows? Yeah. To end the show. There's a, and, so, and what happened, and the fire marshals were always getting very bummed out. And in fact, on that Black Sabbath show that we played, we're talking about, at the end of the set, uh, I would be in this big, giant crescendo of drums and cymbals, and the Franks are pounding their axes, and the music is this crescendo, is building up, and then the roadie uh, would light, a, light the, the fireworks, which is back behind me, and so this thing you know, 
burst open and it spells out bang and it's changing different colors. And the crowd <laughs> just stood up and started rush. I'm playing, my, you know, my eyes are closed. I look up and the crowd is rushing the stage. They were so freaked out they'd never seen anything like this. <laughs> and and um, so we started using that, uh, you know, at the end of the show until one time. No, that's a shotgun story. That's another story. I'm sorry. Yeah, so that's. And years later. I got email from a guy that said I was at that show and you guys blew Black Sabbath off the stage. It was uh-huh. all night. We did we did uh, outshine them. That's that was amazing. actually Let's... in the local paper. The local paper, like a day or two later, had a review of that concert and said, "Bang blew Black Sabbath off the stage." Wow. Yeah. Hey. Well, and this, is, this is why let's let's hear some more. Let's hear some more from that album. Actually, he wasn't even looking at his fingers. He never looks at his fingers. The only guitar player, one of the only few guitar players, very rarely looks at his fingers when he plays. He just he he knows it and he just feels it. And that was just one hand. It wasn't overdubbed. Uh huh. Well, I'll tell you, I've got uh, I've got several music edits here, and uh, but most of them came from your eponymous album, Bang. And uh, I know, Tony, that you specifically asked for this one, so let's talk about this one after we play it. That was one of the, uh, the 
favorite songs from folks. They're always saying, do the queen. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's just funny. You know, we were, um, about that time, Van, we were, we were a rock band, so we were coined like uh, the big thing was we were a, a grand Black Zeppelin. You know, we we had a little bit of of a sound of, of Black Sabbath, but we also had the uh, you know the groove of a Grand Funk Railroad. And uh, I've heard Grand you know, Funk the in there, yeah. Album, yeah, the, but you know the Bang album was a little, I would say, on the Black Sabbathy side. But you know, back then you did you did an album every, every six months, so. You know, we wrote that Bang album in two weeks, and, you know, two months later, we're, we're writing the music album. I mean, the uh, the mother album, the next album. So, you know, that, that whole time is a blur in my mind because uh, we wrote a lot of material, you know, rather quickly. And, uh, you know, we just got into a groove of being able to work together. Uh, Tony would write the words, I would come up with the melody, and, and Frankie had the lick, so... It was a total group effort, which which really made it um, um, a lot more fun because everybody had a, you know an equal share in, in creating what we were doing. I just so, wanted to add too, Van. Uh, Michael Sunday, the producer who we interviewed for the book, it was a lot of fun to interview him. We actually tracked him down. Yeah, he he's the one who told them, "You've got two weeks. Come up with an album." And then he left and came back. But when he left, he told them, "I want it to sound like Black Sabbath, Grand Funk Railroad." And, and uh, somebody else, Zeppelin, little yeah, Zeppelin. of course, yeah. little Zeppelin yeah. too. So he kind of gave him those instructions. And then these guys are off. I'm guessing. Are you in the Escape Hotel this whole time, coming up with these concepts? Yes, yeah, we were. Me and Frank, me and Frankie were in one room, uh, coming right. up with licks, and Tony was in the other room uh, writing the lyrics. So yeah, <laughs> hanging out I mean, in paradise. What fun! I, you know, twisting by the pool, basically. It was amazing. And, I mean, <laughs> well, when, Tony, Michael got, when Michael – go ahead, Van. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going <laughs> to say, Tony, i got to give you kudos uh, because uh, this next one that we're going to play, as far as I'm concerned, was very prescient considering it was in 1971. Uh, I've, I've, I've been managing uh, my own uh, uh, environmental website for the last decade or more. And, uh, and and extremely concerned about you know what we're doing to the planet, and uh, and here you've got this song "Our Home," which basically in 1971 is talking about us destroying things. Spoiled free to 
couched it in the past tense, which today seems even more appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> I was into to pollution, God, time travel, science fiction. Yeah, that's that's got one of my favorite choruses uh, of all the stuff we've written. It's such a uplifting chorus, even though it's a sort of a negative word. But... Well, as I said, you guys were you guys were living the dream. Uh, we got one 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 uh, cut left on this album, but it's the one. I mean, not only were, did you get a Capitol Records contract, not only are you making albums, but but. Uh, one of your singles uh, makes the the Billboard uh, Top 100 and and uh, uh, was actually really high, like rated number two in Hong Kong, and and that's questions. particular song or that particular song should should do better than others or how, did you have any idea that that song was was going to succeed above the others Frank tell them how Capital didn't even want to release it didn't even want to do it neither did, <laughs> well, and our yeah, producer didn't want to do it either yeah it's ahead, funny Frank. questions was one of the last ones that, that we wrote and uh, uh, basically um, <laughs> Tony just hit it on the head you know Capital they were they were a very commercial label. Number one, one thing we really didn't realize, you know, when we signed, uh, you know, Atlantic would have been a better fit because they were a rock, you know, label. They had they had Zeppelin, they had the the heavier acts. I mean, you know, they actually Capital wanted us to be a top forty band, and then they didn't even get questions. We go, look, we've been doing it live, and and people really like the shuffle feel, you know, and, and the boogie, and you know, it really works. And we had to basically talk the song onto the record itself, and it turned out to be the one that, uh, once the record came out, it, it started being the one that got the airplay. And uh, uh, Capital was on board for a while, but uh, but then the politics of music kind of things. That's when things basically started getting uh, going downhill right from the beginning. Actually, it went up to number two in Hong Kong, which is kind of weird because I didn't sing it in Japanese, you know. Um, <laughs> But they they got the feel and, and they liked the way it felt and uh, it was one of our 
it became a, you know like a, our, our number one song. But we had to talk it onto the album. You know, everybody in the music business has a has an opinion about what's good and, and what isn't. And you know, I, I think um, I, I don't think that's a good uh, accurate way to look at things. But yeah, uh, questions turned out to be the one that got the most airplay and uh, um, and really got us going. And uh, what's it like hearing your own music on the radio? It's the first time it happened. We were in Florida, and we're going to my we're at Fort Lauderdale, and we're going to go to Miami to to Ernie's Conch Chowder to eat Ernie's Conch Chowder. Oh, we're in two cars. Yeah, and we're in two cars, and we're heading down the road. And on the radio, I I think it was uh, Last Will or whatever song it was. We're for the first time ever. We're here. Was it? Yeah, and and so. The car we're running next to each other, running down the highway with our windows down, screaming at each other. <laughs> hey, we're on, we're on the music. We're, you know, we can hear our music. Another time was when I'm coming out of the Escape Hotel, and in the distance I hear a Future Shock, and there's this hippie van coming up the street, and as it gets closer, it's getting louder and louder, and as it goes by, is it, you know, so here, boom, zooming past me is Future Shock, so. It was, you know, the first time it's you hear your music, it's, it's uh, it, it already happens once. The yeah, but Frank, you had to off. Frank, you had to go buy the first album yourself down the street at the uh, record it store. Was, it was it was amazing. Well, you know, once I, <laughs> I ended up going, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, we never got a copy from Capitol. I mean, the really, you know, the release date, you know, the, once they mastered it, we never got a copy. And I'm just at, at the local music store, and, and, and it's the Bang album's in the window, and we hadn't even heard it yet. And the guy, the guy knew that we were in the band, and you know, he basically gave it, sold it to me at cost. You know, he says, so "Give me, give me seven bucks, and I'll let you have it." So I bought the first Bang album. Uh, you know, hearing it on the radio, uh, Van was great, but uh, at the, around the same time, there was this club in, in Fort Lauderdale called the She. And we actually walked into the club, and the band was actually playing questions. A cover oh band started doing doing our song, so it was totally flattering. Uh, it kind of it kind of justifies your you know it, it justifies your being. I was just finally you you know you're reaching that goal of you know having your music heard. So yeah, just tremendous feeling. I mean, you can't beat it. You know, I I, I always said that you know. Uh, being on stage was, the, you know, the making making a connection with the audience was, uh, you know, the whole highlight of the thing. It was just, uh, it was an amazing time. It just uh, went by too quickly. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, the uh, being in the in the news business, uh, I know what you're talking about. Nothing, nothing beats live. No. That no. That no. that that feeling of satisfaction, knowing that you nailed it. You know, yep. and you didn't, ha- and you didn't have any retakes. You just you had to do it, and you had to do it good. Now you were already working on this other album, uh, Mother, and and Bow to the King is a is a, uh, a, a song that you wrote specifically about Muhammad Ali, and you had some connections with him. Let me let me play that first. Bow to the King. Bow to the king. Bow to the king. 
uh, no matter what album it was, it, it was always Frankie's guitar, Tony's words, and, and, and my my melodies. So uh, and we voice. were still creating and voice. We were still creating, you know, our music. Uh, we were never a one trick pony. We 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 could write all kinds of music, and and we were just Obviously. trying to make uh, we were trying to make the label happy. So we did whatever we could do, and you know, again, came up with some great ideas uh, on the on the music album itself. Um, uh, we wrote a song called Glad You're Home that was about the returning POWs, and we were so hot to have it released and, you know, went up and recorded it in Philly, took it to our publisher in New York, and then the word came down that Capitol didn't want to release any songs pertaining to, the, you know, the POWs. And no sooner did we get that note in the mail that Tony Orlando and Dawn came up with tie a yellow ribbon around the, uh, you know, the, 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 oak, yeah. the oak tree. And that became the anthem, and, you know, it's like, my God, we missed out on that one, too. So, you know, it's uh, the business. You know, it, 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 it's real simple. It, 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 didn't, it wasn't the music business anymore. It was the business of music. You know, uh, the heart was really being taken out of us, you know, while this whole thing was going on. And this was all within a couple years of, you know, walking in on, on the faces in Deep Purple, you know, and all of a sudden, not even two years later, you know, things were kind of just falling apart on us. So yeah, we did the best we, we did the best we could. <laughs> well, I can, I can definitely hear the regrets. And so I need to ask, uh, you know, if, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've talked about it. If, uh, was there a point in time that you can look back on and, and, and realize if you had just dug your heels in right at that point, everything would have been different or not? I don't think so. I, I think the powers, there were powers that be that were way up the food chain, and we were at the the people you know that, that we weren't able to work. That was one problem, and and capital had changed, and and no matter what we could do, it, you know there was nothing we could do. Just until it just got to the point where we figured this is not happening. Okay. Yeah, okay, but hind, hindsight's twenty twenty. I, I wish I, my biggest regret is that we uh, that we kind of you know got so frustrated by it that we decided you know it, let's let's just stop this and, and restart it instead of just plowing ahead and, and doing what we could do to, to get another record deal. Uh, but by then, music had, it changed totally again. You know, um, uh, it, it was just a, a weird circumstance, but uh, it's what it is. And, you know, we're, we're talking to you 50 years later and, you know, we were able to go to Europe uh, the last couple of years. And uh, so some good things came out of it. And then we got into the heavy metal hall of fame uh, from the bang album itself. Uh, it's uh -huh. considered a, a classic and, you know, in its own right. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we did some good things. Uh, we were, yeah, of course we, I wish things could have been different, but, you know, it's what it is, you know, it's, uh, it, it's what it is. And that's all it's going to be, you know, well, let me so. stick with, let me stick with your, your music here because we're, we're running out of time, but I, I still got some music left. You went 30 years later, you, you started making albums again. You made a couple of albums and you've got some pretty good stuff on them. And they, the evolution of your of your music uh, is is what really struck me. Uh, here's here's one from the, your album Return to Zero called Tear Me Down. Tear me down. 
track machine um you're kidding uh, those yeah no that's frankie nah. frankie did yeah it's an a-track machine um it had been like 25 years almost and tony moved up back to delaware for for a little bit and we got together van and, and just started clicking again writing songs like you know we never stopped so uh that is rtz is a it was really meant to be a commercial album hopefully you know to uh try to play some songs with some other people, but uh, I love the RTZ album and also the Maze record, but the, neither one of those records, uh, Van, were were ever uh, put out, uh, you know, by a, a major label, uh, basically. Well, it's really the, too uh, bad because I really like this next one, Middle of the Night. Oh, uh, yeah. Good blues.
We got to wrap it up. But thanks so much for being here to share your wonderful adventure. You got to live the dream and have regular lives as well. There you go. Thank you, Van. I appreciate it. And and we'd like to thank Lawrence for us. Uh, for taking yeah. an interest and in, in making uh, our book a reality. So, uh, Thanks, Larry. Very extremely okay. happy about that. All right, I'll be interested. Well, this book, has a, this book has a wide scattering of pictures of the band, uh, concert venues. Sorry, no music. You're going to have to find that on your own, but it's still out there. And so is this book. I bet you can think of a half dozen people who'd love to get a copy of this. It's at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, other booksellers. The... Uh, Autobiography was written by Lawrence Knorr. The book is Bang, From the Basement to the Bright Lights. This has been the author's interview.